Well, welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm here with the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How you doing, man? Steve, I am doing well and uh, really excited about today because we have Chris Elaine, fresh off of his BASS win on Okeechobee that, you know, quite surprisingly took place during some historic record-breaking temperatures. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you were telling me before the show what a great interview that was, so... uh Here we go. Another good show right here on The Edge. Get it like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge. The official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, Aaron, it feels awfully good to be back with all our friends here. And uh, first show of the new year. I hope 2010 has been uh, kind to you so far. Well, it certainly has been. But, you know, Steve, I do have to say it, uh, it hasn't slowed down any. It seems like, you know, the older you get, the quicker the time seems to go by. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a crazy month as far as weather goes. We, as you well know, we've had several days that were sub-zero, you know, just miserable wind chill conditions. And uh, then, you know, the last week or so, we've actually seen uh, where the temperatures have been up in the 60s the last few days. Well, that is so true, and now I'm going to feel bad all day about you growing old. You know, that's just going to break. My yeah, heart. I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, really spend <laughs> spend some time thinking about that. You're not going to handle your first gray hairs very well, I can tell. <laughs> well, I've already got them, so just between you and I. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's right. I'm not. It's only your hairdresser knows for sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, man, I know it's been it's been nutty. Got sub zero temperatures here where we're at, and and just all over the country. And we'll hear about that later. But uh, but I know that you actually got to get out and take advantage of this this crazy turnaround we had in the warm weather. And uh, I like you know I like to, to hear you talk about uh, what's going on in the water out there. I mean, is this uh, what did this change? Well, you know, starting out, kind of dating back, as as you know, last year I spent a lot of time talking about getting out on those deep fish starting on January 4th, finding those schools and really sticking with them all the way through until uh, they, they hit uh, that pre-spawn uh, condition. And I was anxious to actually get back out on some of those same days, take my logbook and compare notes. But the problem was that, you know, it was so cold to get out there, just absolutely dangerous to even try it, not to mention very uncomfortable. So, uh, you know, I took pre-fishing to a new level here, Steve. Uh, As you well know, I've got a deck that overlooks the lake, and I keep a set of binoculars there handy. And, um, you know, the heat that was coming off, it looked like you were literally in the clouds with, you know, all the steam that was coming off the lake from the massive uh, cool down. But then we, uh, you know, had some days where it cleared off. It was still cold, and I started noticing just immense amounts of these gulls and loons diving and i really started watching those with my binoculars paying attention you know to where they were at and you know here i'm chomping at the bits because i'm like i'm gonna get down there and uh you know I've, i've found kind of a new school of fish that i didn't know was there and had an upcoming tournament that uh, little local deal that I was going to participate in. And I'm like, you know, we're on them. Well, needless to say, uh, got out for a day of practice, launched the boat, went down there, and lo and behold, 
where that school of fish was located was right off the end of a dock that had a gas pump on it. And uh, as you well know, we can't be within 50 yards of a of a gas pump mm-hmm. uh, fishing. But I did go ahead and graph it, and you know they were still there. And that was several days later. And uh, so anyway, I went back out, did have the opportunity to go and check some of those areas from last year, and they were still there, Steve. You know, hitting oh, that man. hitting that little white jig uh, just like they did last year. Well, you know the you know the gulls and loons around here, man. That that gets us worked up because we know, and we you know it's you know it's a real winter event here. But you know, the thing about the birds is is uh, you know you saw those, and and just by by hearing you say that you you saw those birds a few days before your tournament, you're telling me that they were out there in those like single digit days. Oh, absolutely. And uh, they were, you know, the way that the wind was blowing, kind of coming out of the west, uh, you know, northwest, they would, when the bait fish, when the loons would get active and obviously stir up the bait fish, well, you know, they make that call and kind of calls in the gulls because the loons are able to dive down. But uh, the loons were kind of hunkering down in a protected area there that was close out of the wind. But Man, when the loons would get them going, they would come over there and just go into a feeding frenzy. And the interesting thing, you know, that's how I found a lot of those schools last year. And what I want to make sure our listeners understand, you know, that is a school of fish that as long as the bait fish stay there, they have no Mm -hmm. reason to leave. And, you know, we're talking about depths of, you know, 40 to 70 feet. And it's just like when I went back to some of those areas where I found them on the exact same scenario – were the gulls and that were diving. There were no gulls there this year, but because I was able to, you know, to put that point, that waypoint in on my GPS, I was able to go there and uh, the, the bait fish were stacked and, of course, the bass were right under them. Well, you know, that's so true. That's such a good point, you know, and especially in this cold weather, because let's face it, the shad are cold-blooded animals, and, they're, you know, their metabolism is is pretty daggum low when the temperatures are that cold, so they're not they're not doing a lot of moving, you know. So, uh, like you said, they typically don't move unless something makes them move, and those fish are, are, are right there with them. But, you know, I, when you bring up birds, and, and we're sitting here talking about, seeing birds out working fish when it's five degrees outside, you know, it just sort of makes me think of how many summer hot days I've spent without my shirt following birds down in Texas or Louisiana somewhere. And, you know, birds are truly, following the birds and watching the birds are just truly uh, one of those things that are, that's nationwide and throughout the season. Birds eat bait. They eat the same bait the fish do. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one of, in, in my opinion, one of the best fish locating mechanisms that we have. Obviously, you know, just part of nature. And any time that you have that, you know, that um, kind of awareness about you where you're paying attention to what's going on with nature. You know, we talk a lot about uh, maybe the sun goes behind the clouds or the wind picks up. Nature is no difference when it comes to the animals and certainly the bird activity. Well, that's so true. Here it is funny, you know, about once a year I read The Old Man in the Sea, Ernest Hemingway's famous uh, novella, and, and just, I love it. I just I just love it. It's the greatest fishing story ever told, but the part I read last night, he found that big giant marlin that's so famous in the story by, by the birds attacking and the tuna schooling on top. So it is a universal deal. Follow the birds to the fish. Boy, it is. And, you know, the the other thing that I wanted to kind of point out, you know, speaking of, of 
clues and information that we're able to kind of, you know, build upon. I go back to our, our most recent interview that we did right there at the end of the year with Mike McClellan and him talking about, you know, mm-hmm. when he fishes a jig versus a jerk bait, you know, sky conditions and that. And uh, it wasn't just a deep bite per se of vertical fishing with that little hair jig and drop shotting that we were doing also was able to develop kind of another pattern uh, when the sun came out and you know typically on, on these high highland reservoir impoundments like table rock bull shoals norfolk so on and so forth you know the water is traditionally a little bit clearer uh, as compared to other lakes maybe further south and they have a tendency to want to you know kind of take refuge in in the treetops and so another very effective way to target these bass is just taking a grub you know we're talking about something that's very old school in my case i was using a just a smoke grub and uh, you know putting that on about an eighth ounce jig head counting it down because the reason why i was doing that i was noticing on my depth finder you know the depth that they were holding at was 30 to 40 feet and just slowly swimming that through that timber and those suspended you know, fish that were hanging out in those treetops, they would just latch onto it. Another fun way to fish. Oh, man, that is. And I know, I think the biggest winter fish I ever caught up here came out of a tree, and I almost didn't get him out. So, uh, uh, man, it's a, it's a great time to fish here. And, and, and boy, coming into February, what a, uh, what a great month to fish. It's just, uh, man, I'm going nuts sitting here talking. I don't want to talk to you. I want to go fishing. But, uh, you know, the next best thing to going fishing is talking fishing. And, uh, boy, nobody talks it better than Chris Lane. So uh, let's uh, let's take a little break here and come back and hear about his tournament down in Okeechobee. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Electronics 101. Harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. back to the edge. When it comes to wintertime fishing, many anglers place the annual pilgrimage to Florida at the top of their list for escaping the frigid temperatures of their northern neighbors. Also, confidence of catching big bass is often at its highest. But what happens when the dates you have scheduled deliver the coldest temperatures on record? Here to tell us about it is recent BASS Southern Open champion Chris Lane. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Well, it is a pleasure. And, you know, I I really cannot believe I'm about to ask you this question, but we're going to do it anyway. Have you thawed out from your recent tournament on Okeechobee? Uh, It's been a busy week, but but I have. I mean, uh, you know, in and out, you know, there's a lot of things going on. But when, when I think of the tournament on Lake Okeechobee, I think, man, what a comeback that lake has made since the hurricanes. Well, and, and speaking of which, before we kind of dive off into your few days that you got to spend down there, could you describe kind of for our listeners who perhaps haven't been there, what Okeechobee is made up of and kind of distri- describe some of its characteristics? 
Wow. Okeechobee is like a pond just thrown into the middle of the state of Florida on on the southern end, and it's just got tons of vegetation, you know, miles and miles and miles, and just got millions of bass, and it's just a great fishery down there. Yeah, and speaking of a pond, I mean, we're not talking about your average watering hole that you find in South Texas. I mean, this is a pond of 750 square miles, and so, you know, you've got to be thinking when you're going down there, man, nothing but big bass, Florida strain, you know, pre-spawns on and, and we're good to go. But as we know, Chris, Mother Nature plays a significant role for all of us as anglers. And after all, you know, you can't put a cold front off until tomorrow. But describe the conditions that you and the other 199 pros were faced with at the tournament. Man, the only thing I can think of is ice cold. It was uh, record-breaking lows down there, 25 degrees, 26 degrees in the morning when you were heading out, ice everywhere, all over the boats. And, man, it was just uh, unbelievably cold out there. And with Florida fish down there, those fish absolutely go to lockdown is what I call it. They just do not bite when it's that cold. Well, and speaking of lockdown, you know, for the fish and and the fish not being used to those type of temperatures, you know, Chris, I'm sure you can attest to it better than no one or better than anybody rather. But when you get in South Florida and it's in the 20s and 30s and even the 40s, you know, it might as well be minus 15. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, those fish are usually around 60. They they love 60-degree water temp and up. And, you know, a lot of the times the water temp doesn't get you know, into the lower 50s, much less the lower 40s. We were fishing 43-degree water temperature in practice. I mean, fish were dying, you know. People, I was hearing stories about dead snook all over the lake, and saltwater fish were dying, and it was just, you know, unbelievable cold down there. But uh, the bass generally, they get back up into that heavy cover on Lake Okeechobee and stay back in there and and, and get away from the cold and, you know, try to find somewhere where they can stay in, in the heat area if the sun's pounding on some of the grass or something like that. Well, I I know you have a lot of experience, you know, on that body of water, and you also do a lot of research prior to arriving at the ramp to launch your boat, but did you have any forewarning as, you know, to the weather that was going to greet you when you showed up? I did. I talked to both of my brothers lived down there, Arnie and Bobby, and, uh, you know, they told me that they were catching a lot of fish down there, but they had a pretty heavy cold front coming in. And with Florida, you know, living down there for 34 years, it was, you know, is it really going to come down that far? Because a lot of the times, you know, uh, a warm blast of air will come from one of the ocean sides or something and kind of keep it up, you know, to the northern end of Florida or something, much less get down to Okeechobee. And as we kept, you know, talking, in and seeing the weather and what was going to happen, they told me to bring warm clothes because it's coming down. <laughs> yeah, and that was probably an understatement. But, you know, sometimes cold fronts aren't quite as detrimental, you know, to our results on the water in other parts of, of the country. But explain why, you know, in this particular case, it made the bite so tough, you know, for these Florida strain bass. Wow, because, you know, 53, like I was saying earlier on the show, is is a really low, cold temperature for water down there. And, and the fish just, you know, they get very lethargic. And when it gets to around 43, like we were fishing, I mean, those fish just, you know, they, they just don't bite. And one thing down there when, when you're trying to prepare for something like that is to, to be mentally confident going into an event, knowing that practice is going to be tough, but as you watch the weather, things will generally, 
you know, start to look up. And as we were seeing the warmer temperatures come up, we knew that the fish were going to get a little bit more aggressive every day. Well, and that kind of really leads me right into my next point. You know, in all of our discussions here on the edge concerning, you know, mental preparation and mental toughness and, and expectations, did you, you know, have to alter or adjust your psychological game as compared, you know, to your past experiences on Okeechobee this time of year? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, because I was going from maybe one, maybe two bites a day, a lot of anglers not getting any bites. And I kind of told myself while I was sitting on the water one day that, hey, it's not just me, it's the fish. The fish just are not biting. So a lot of guys moved into canals and, you know, trying to get a lemon of fish or something like that, you know, whatever size they may be. And I think that the mental preparation for me was that I knew the bigger fish were going to be in the lake, so I kind of concentrated on that and just prayed that that water temp would get up to 58, 60 degrees. Well, and how do you adjust your, your expectations, you know, because let's say make it any body of water that, that we as anglers go to, and based on past experience and the time of year and, and what usual or normal conditions are, you know, Okeechobee, if you're planning on going down there and catching, you know, the big bass and, and also numbers, um, you know, you know, how do you adjust when a cold front like that comes in? What are you using as your benchmark? Wow. Well, you, you kind of really key, key, key in on what the fish were doing before the cold front and then kind of follow the fish out or try to figure out where the fish are going to go with that water temperature being that cold. And at what temperature does it need to be for those fish to move back where you were catching them before? And I think that that's a big key is knowing, you know, where the fish are going to go when it gets that cold and as it warms up to, to be able to make that decision to follow the fish. Boy, that's good stuff right there. And, and, you know, when you consider as far as where they're going or where you expected them to be, um, can you describe a little bit as far as what, you know, you found and, and, and where the fish were, were really keying in on? Well, there was a lot of empty beds down there. And as the temperature started warming up, there was, we started seeing balls of fry and stuff like that. So we knew that the spawn was happening already happened there's more coming up we were going on a new moon so i kind of just got dialed in on catching fish that were on their way to spawn and then catch try to catch some that were already done spawning that were hungry and you know you had mentioned a little bit earlier um you know because my next point is is how in the world can you can you attack these florida strain bass when conditions rapidly deteriorate. And you mentioned something as far as looking for heat. You know, what do you mean by that? Heat, um, vegetation. When, when the sun's shining down on a hydrilla mat or a hyacinth mat or a big stack of cattails or something like that, the heat, the, the, the sun, the vegetation is soaking up that sun. And underneath that mat, it might be a degree or two warmer than the rest of the lake. And those fish are going to kind of, congregate into that area so so really you're you're just basically looking for um you know areas that are going to draw the sunlight to more or less warm up the temperature or or the water yes sir to warm up that vegetation which is ultimately going to turn into where underneath that mat is going to be a couple degrees warmer
Well, we had started out, you know, kind of in your description and the characteristics of Okeechobee. You know, it's a big pond, obviously immense amount of vegetation. But how do you break down, you know, what those high percentage areas are that, that you're going to go after? Well, one is history of the lake. And, you know, Monkey Box, where I spent a lot of my time in that tournament, as did a lot of other anglers, keyed in on that area because that's where a lot of fish move in, a a massive amount of of fish push in there. It's a big area. You know, there's plenty of room. So just kind of, you know, finding where those fish are in that specific area because you know they're in there. They've been in there for years and years and years, and they come in there to spawn. So you really kind of key in on where those fish are going to be when they're spawning, you know, back to history of the lake and so forth, and then trying to find that hard bottom. And with hard bottom, you know, four foot, three foot, you know, in Okeechobee, you can stick your rod down that far. And that's one key that I do to try to figure out where the best, you know, bottom is in that specific area. So you really were, you know, it's it's kind of old school approach. We're not relying on the maps or electronics or anything like that. It's it's literally physical contact uh, from between you and your your rod. Absolutely, you know, with uh, with with that shallow of water, you have to, you know, you're not going to get an exact reading to where on on how hard the bottom is when you are fishing. 30 foot of water and your graphs and, and your depth finders and stuff really work, you know, on, on, on deeper bodies of water to where when it's that shallow and there's that much vegetation, it's kind of hard to get a good reading. Well, and, you know, there's there's so many variables that uh, you guys were faced with um, there at Okeechobee. You said, you know, you had some that are on pre-spawn, some that were, you know, post-spawn, and then you throw the cold front on top of that. And then the immense amount of vegetation. So describe, you know, when you approach a grass mat, you have several nooks, crannies, points, you know, and obviously uh, fish that could be underneath it. How are you breaking that grass mat down to determine, you know, is this a place where the fish are located? Practice. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many areas down there. There's so many mats. And I think that you mentally have to just know that you're – going to go to where you think the fish are and you fish that area and try to find what mats are holding fish, which in turn is probably the mats that are producing more heat. So you have to just really concentrate and practice and stay focused on, you know, knowing that you might not get a bite, you might get a bite, be ready when you do get that bite and figure out exactly what happened when you got that bite and then kind of look at the area and see why those fish were holding in that one specific spot. Did you have to alter your bait choices um, given, you know, the cold front as compared to what you would have, you know, originally thrown if the weather had been stable and under, if there is such a thing, usual conditions? Oh, I did. You know, I started out trying to find a reaction bite, staying out on the outside edge of the eelgrass, throwing a Zuma Shaker Z, and just trying to really find a reaction bite or if those fish had pushed out, how far did they push out. And I actually got a couple bites on that in practice and really kind of got dialed in on that a little bit. But as the boat started fishing that outer eelgrass bank, I kind of steered away from that and went into the monkey box and switched up to a gambler 
screw in weight with a uh, tungsten weight with a BB cricket on the end of it. And I think that that bait, it goes through the mat so good that I just kind of had to change. And then as the event went on and as the water warmed up, I saw that the fish were starting to move shallow, so I kind of went with the fish and started throwing a gambler cane toad up in the shallows. You know, and speaking of kind of your flipping rig there, and you mentioned as far as the, the specific weight with it being screw-in, is that important to keep, you know, the, the weight and the bait close together when you're flipping matted, matted vegetation like that? Absolutely. It keeps it very compact. It keeps you from having to change your bait a lot and and put new baits on, and it just really keeps you dialed in the whole time, not worrying about if your bait's okay. You know it's good, so you just continue to flip. What about as far as, you know, the size or the amount of weight that you were using? You know, a lot of times when you're you're flipping matted vegetation, you have to go with, you know, something really heavy to make sure it's going to get down through there. But with it being a cold front, you know, did you have to go lighter than usual? Well, you know, I kind of switched it up a little bit between an ounce and a half and an ounce. And um, as the wind was blowing a little harder and compacting the grass in there, you know, I would stick with the ounce and a half. And then as the wind laid down a little bit throughout the day, you could drop down to a half ounce or to a one ounce and really kind of focus in on specific areas in that mat. And quickly, you know, kind of finishing out the terminal tackle side, you know, I'm assuming uh, probably braided line was, was employed there. But also, you know, one of the things that I think often gets overlooked is the hook and the importance of making sure you have a stout hook that's going to match, you know, the, the line, but also the type of conditions that you're fishing. Correct. And, and to match your bait, you know, I was throwing a three-odd uh, KO hook from Gambler, and that really made the bait very compact, which would, you know, ease through that mat like I wanted it to, but yet stout enough to get the fish out of that heavy grass. Well, and, you know, one of the things going back to when, when faced faced with changing conditions is, you know, the pace of your fishing had to be just greatly altered. How in the world do you, you you know, do you manage your time on the water, making sure that you're getting through the places, you know, effective and efficiently, but also so that you're not just camping out on one place that's kind of dead water? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when it comes tournament time, you want to make sure that you stay in the area where you think those fish are. And one way that I do that is with my power poles and lift my trolling motor up and we'll, you know, drip through the mats or the area that I think is, is the best and fish it slow enough, especially when it's really cold in Florida, you want to really slow down. So I would just put my power poles down and just flip each mat so slow. And and when you're doing that, are are these areas, you know, that you're picking apart, do they allow you to kind of throw multiple styles of bait? Do you, did you pick up, you know, the top water and, and, the, and the toad and throw that? Or do, are you pretty much concentrating on one areas for flipping and a different type of an areas for, for throwing the top water? Well, I really concentrated on flipping the whole time, you know, the first couple of days because I knew that the water temperature was still cold, the sun was shining, and the fish were telling me that they were under the mats. Well, and, you know, there again, going back to what you just said concerning, you know, being, a, I guess, somewhat stealth in your approach, you know, we all know you get into these type of conditions, and then also with kind of clanging and banging around with your trolling motor and the cavitation, well, you can sure alert those fish in a hurry. Oh, absolutely. And with those power poles set up on the back of my legend boat, you know, I think that that was a big key, the the back of my boat. You hear a lot about the front of your boat, but the back of my boat, I think, was a big key because with uh, Atlas jack plate and a 250 Mercury Pro XS, I could actually get 
into the areas where I needed to and get out. You know, getting out was a big thing because those fish were up shallow. And, you know, I would run that legend boat all the way up in there and then be able to, with the way that it, the back of my boat was set up, I could jump back out on a plane and not overheat or anything like that. Well, certainly equipment is key. And final question before we bid farewell. You know, when you look at or or consider colors, I mean, there's just, you know, more time than we have to go through, obviously, when you lining the, the aisles of any bait store. How critical and, and what are clues are you using to kind of point you in the right direction when making that selection? Well, colors are a big thing. And you see thousands of them in, in, the, in the stores. And down in Florida, I'll key in on a black and blue or something like that because that water's so dark. And I really kind of concentrate on the forage. And I've caught fish down there that are literally black. So I'll kind of key in on that to where if you're fishing like at Gunnersville Lake or something like that that's really clear, you know, I'll switch up to a watermelon candy. So I kind of let the forage tell me what color to throw at that time, you know, on the lake and what lake I'm fishing. Well, that, that makes all the sense in the world. And, Chris, I wish we had more time to continue, but unfortunately, we are out of time. But before we get out of here, again, congratulations. Thanks so much for taking time to be here on The Edge, and uh, best of luck in the upcoming Elite season. Aaron, thanks for having me, bud. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is Shaw Grigsby, and you're listening to The Edge. Man, it is just hard to imagine water as cold as Chris described down there in southern Florida. And, you know, and before we talk about that, I, I just want to uh, throw out my, you know, uh, best wishes and, and hopes for, for folks that... that, that we're, we're, tr- we're truly hurt by that cold. You know, there's some snook guides down there that uh, took a beating, and, and citrus growers, and, and, and strawberry growers, and and we just we just hope uh, uh, nobody was damaged too bad down there, and they can get all uh, get those things going again. But Chris's discussion, you know, it, it showed. Uh, I think to me, as I listen, I just sort of got this. Uh, this feeling of these guys that travel around and fish professionally, what a wide range of conditions they have to face and how imperative it is to be flexible to have any success in that business. Well, it is. And, you know, I think like we had talked about in the interview, one thing to what you had mentioned, you know, cold in Florida, you get down into those types of temperatures. And, I mean, it is just brutal. Um, and when you're going into this time of year and hitting the big O, you know, you're thinking big bass, you're thinking numbers and, you know, slugfest. Um, but, you know, when you are faced with those type of conditions, Steve, 
I mean, it it just wears on you mentally. I mean, there were several guys that never even, you know, caught a fish, let alone weighed in a keeper uh, during the tournament. And we're not just talking about, you know, the thing that I think all of us need to take, you know, some satisfaction. And when we get down kind of in the mouth and our spirits get down when we're out there on, on the body of water, maybe just, you know, having a fun day of fishing. Uh, it happens to every single one of us, and you know, th- there were 200 guys out there that were kind of the best of the best. Well, and it does kind of. Show, I mean, if there's not there's not a better example of the fact that you know somebody's always going to catch a fish somewhere, it, no matter what the conditions. So, you know, you know, file that away in your in your uh, in your psyche and know that. No matter how bad it gets, it's still possible to catch fish. Great point, because that is, you know, one of the things that I try with my self-talk is when I'm out there, it, it you know, and, and trying to separate yourself from everybody else and whatever, you know, all the doc talk and everything that's going on, it, it comes down to, at some point in time, there has to be a fish that is willing to respond, you know, on the body of water that you're fishing. And, you know, trying to just stay, um, you know, just it's almost persistence, I think, is a good way to describe mm-hmm. it. And staying committed to, to what you know and, and your confidence level and, and keeping that mental warfare. You know, and the interesting thing is is talking about, you know, these weather patterns that we've been experiencing. Right now, as we are talking, you know, there's um, another FLW tournament that's going on down there but the weather has changed and i mean you know it's it's business as usual you know down on okeechobee so it just goes to show you in a matter of just a few days how quickly things can turn around boy that is that is so true and and uh, boy just so congratulate you know want to congratulate chris on that win and just uh man that's impressive to catch anything down there but you know i, I would like to talk you know we've talked a lot about uh fishing in, in, in cold weather and one of the one of the things that i just you know i had a personal experience when i was young that 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 uh, uh that brings this to mind but uh, uh i think it's always important that we discuss safety when we talk about fishing in this kind of cold water you know i think we've all fallen in but you fall in this time of year it's it's life threatening. Absolutely, I mean it is. It's not uh, a matter of you know just getting wet and, and embarrassed. I mean it is literally you know the risk of of, of drowning. And uh, you know that water is so cold. Um, and yeah, most definitely let people know where you're going. Make sure you know you've got that kill switch attached when you're you're running. Extra clothes. Have enough clothes on. Dress in layers. You know that that life uh, vest. I, you know I just can't say enough. Uh, a lot of times that kind of gets pushed, you know, behind the seat or under the seat or something. But uh, don't take anything for granted when you're out on the water this time of year. Well, that's so true. And I think it's, you know, I think it's just common sense when you're fishing in this kind of weather to, to, to have extra clothes, dry clothes in the boat and a dry, you know, extra everything, coat, gloves, socks, everything. And, uh, and you know, I really have to question uh when it's just brutally dangerous out there like it's been, if you're going to go, i got to question uh, how smart it is to, get, to ever go out there by yourself in these conditions. Crawling out of a boat, you know, crawling into your boat with a bunch of heavy clothes on, a bunch of heavy wet clothes on, uh, with nobody to help you up while you're quickly, you know, while hypothermia is quickly coming on, 
I'm not going fishing by myself in this kind of weather. Well, and and there again, I mean, you know, just imagine we're talking about setting out here on some of these deep fish like we described at the beginning of the interview. You know, you've got your, normally I do anyway, my head, it's it's like a, you know, horse with blinders on. I am solely focused on that graph because, you know, you're trying to pick fish maybe out of the tree or pay attention, you know, Mm -hmm. to what's going on with your bait. Well, you know, the wind picks up or if you have a rogue wave or if you, you get off balance and you go in the drink, your boat can drift so far, so quickly away from you that, you know, it's it's not even a matter of being able to get in the boat. It's can you even get to the boat? Well, well, well I just, man, I just think, uh, I just think that's something we, we always have to keep in mind. I mean, and it's safety all year round, uh, you know, from... Uh, fishing in cold water to protecting our skin in the summer, but uh, you know it, it's cold out there. And uh, but you know it's that it is also that kind of year where we have some kind of neat indoor things going on. And uh, you know sports shows and boat shows, and, and they're great. I love them. We run into friends and we get to talk talk fishing with fishermen. But uh, uh, I know you and old Mike are heading up to uh, Pennsylvania for one of the really cool shows. And by the way, I, I'm I'm thrilled that you didn't. Uh, that you didn't uh, invite me to go up there with you. I, <laughs> I heard from several people that it's just really a neat show. Oh, you will. I mean, you can't even imagine. I'm I'm just as excited about, obviously, about getting to meet the fans and, and talk with several people up there as what I am, you know, to walk around the complex. Just enormous, probably one of the largest, if it's not the largest, in the country. Uh, you know, I've always described it. Last year was my first year being able to go up there and speak and participate in that and looking forward to doing it again. But I kind of describe it like an American Idol audition, Steve. You cannot believe, you know, people are literally, before the doors even open, they are lined up, ready to get in. And, uh, yes, Mike and I will be up there giving uh, two seminars per day each. Uh, some interesting things coming up. If anybody has the opportunity to swing by there, we're going to be there the 6th through the 9th, and that is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at the State Farm Complex. Everything you could possibly want with regards to hunting and fishing. And, of course, we mentioned Mike. That's our own Mike Webb from here in the Ozarks. And uh, uh, he'll be talking about electronics, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, a special subject that uh, he has a lot of knowledge about and, and worked with us on our uh, Electronics 101 DVD. Oh, by the way, you, I mean, we'll have some of those for sale up there, won't we? Yes, we will be taking uh, the okay. DVDs. We're going to okay. have some show specials on uh, a lot of lot of stuff up there. So, please. We've got plenty on. of those left. I know they were going pretty quick. Yes, we uh, will have a, hopefully have enough for the show. Last year we were a little bit shocked because uh, we were a little unprepared and we ended up selling out of uh, everything that we had. But uh, this year I think I think we're going to be a little more on target. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say it like that. I just want to make sure you take enough. And, and if you miss out on that, don't worry, folks. We'll, we'll come out with uh, – we'll reprint those. But uh, anyway, let's, let's move on. We've got a, uh, got a very interesting and very uh, seasonal uh, – uh, reader question this week, and I'll read that and let you uh, come up with the answer. This comes out of our friend, one of our friends from Illinois. It says, I recently fished a local tournament that is held on a power plant lake here in Illinois. The power plant has not been on for a few days, so the water was a chilly 38 degrees. Based on water temp, I decided to look for bass in deep water and, and try to drop shot set up with a gulp minnow and a worm. After fishing like this, with no bites for a while, I tried using a spinner bait, using a slow retrieve, and also tried a suspended jerk bait. 
Nothing I used produced any results. The fish I was targeting were suspended between 20 and 30 feet deep between the shallow and deep part of the, <clears throat> of the point. My question is, what other setups could I have tied on and with the water being that cold, and will the bass be in the shallows? And that's from Jeremy from Godfrey, Illinois. Well, that's a, a, a very good question, Jeremy. I appreciate you sending that in. You know, one of the things um, that, that's a several-part question, but first I'd like to just point out, you know, try to pay attention as far as what is taking place on your electronics. Uh, as, as you're setting over top of these fish, obviously you had identified, you know, that the fish were holding in that 20 to 30 foot water column. But is there any schooling activity that's going on underneath? We talked a lot about the birds, you know, and showing kind of that surface activity that was going on. But a lot of times remember that uh, there's a lot of schooling activity that takes place uh, that we can't see with the naked eye. And one of the ways to, to try and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more as far as the mood or the temperament that the fish are in is, is to take your bait, let's say that gulp minnow or that worm, lower it down. And if obviously you know that you've got some fish located there, but if they're not really hitting it, um, try putting it in front of their nose, but then slowly raise it up and see if you can get them to rise up. Because one of the things like I had uh, expressed earlier concerning that tournament and that pre-practice that I had fished in, they were not suspended earlier in the day. They were dead on the bottom. And because of the way that the electronics read, there's a false bottom. So you can't really see that. So what I was actually having to do to see if there was fish there is lower that all the way down, then raise it up. And then guess what? What you would notice is you would see them show themselves. They would come up. They wouldn't necessarily eat it right off the bat, but they would come up. So mm -hmm. that gave me a clue that the fish were interested, but possibly there was something that they just weren't willing to key in on that particular bait. That gulp minnow that Jeremy is speaking of, Steve, as you well know, you've got personal experience with that. That works very well. But there is also there's something about that hair jig that you have built that um, it just gives a different action, a different fall. So I'm a big believer of trying a different bait to see if you can get them to fire. And then the other mm -hmm. thing is I want to throw in there is going to be that, that spoon, you know, throwing uh, just that slab spoon either in a white or a, a, a chrome or a gold color. And then finally is going to be that grub like we had talked about earlier. Try swimming that grub through those schools, counting it down, you know, just a nice slow retrieve. And that's giving you really three different uh, additional baits to try that's still within that same category because we know that they're feeding, you know, on the bait fish this time of year. Well, that that's so true, you know. And he asked if the uh, if the bass would still be in the shallows. And of course, I, you know, we fished a lot of those in Texas. The uh, there we had several really nice uh, uh, power plant lakes, you know, Fairfield, Welch, Monticello, and uh, and and those those bait would be fairly shallow near those, you know, near the uh, the out, output of the the warm water. But you know, that's that's the key is to follow those follow those. Uh, uh, follow those schools of, of, sh of shad and see where they go. Uh, you know, uh, it's likely that they'll move a little deeper, but that's, uh, man, get on your electronics. But uh, Right, and, you know, Steve, I think on, on that, too, as far as his question on shallow, sure, there's still going to be, you know, that's why I like the steeper banks, because fish will tend as the day warms up or if they're, you know, there's some dark rocks that's holding some heat. Um, you know, they're going to change a little bit as that bait moves as well as the day progresses. One of the reasons why I like the jerk bait, you know, is because you can actually go after the shallow fish, but you can 
can also get to fit get the fish to rise you know and come hit that bait and i think mm-hmm. the key with a jerk bait is going to be you know making sure you're on one of those steeper banks i also for whether it be for drop shotting or the jerk bait i like channel swing banks you know typically you're going to be adjacent to uh deeper water you know where the channel c- comes right up against the bank uh mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of bait activity and a lot of forage there and reason for those fish to set up residence well, it's always good to hear from our friends in Illinois. And, Jeremy, man, keep us posted. I'd really like to hear hear how that goes for you. If They uh, they may have already turned the warm water back on by now, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we like we learn from you guys, too. So uh, so keep us posted. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to throw out thanks to uh, Jeremy for sending in this month's question. And uh, don't forget, you, too, can have a question answered here on the Edge by simply sending in an email to us at BassEdge.com. Well, Steve, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for this week. But until next time, be safe and best of luck to you on the water. We'll see you next month right here on The Edge. So long, everybody. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by MegaWare Keelguard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.